Hi, this is Tony Silva. And Charles Wiz. And this is episode 112, Two Teachers Talking. And today we're going to be talking about uh, motivation and uh, trying to get motivated about that. We're, but we're talking about student motivation, not teacher motivation, right? Well, that's really good. <laughs> Especially in the, the middle of June for yeah. us. It's a hard time. Rainy think, season. Rainy season. And uh, what, two-thirds of the way through the semester? Yeah, just about, just about. And yeah, yeah my schedules are all kind of crazy because, yeah, and some I'm just like barely halfway done. The others I'm kind of looking at the end, so. Okay, anyway. so we've got student motivation, motivating mm -hmm. students. What do you do with unmotivated students? Is there such a thing as motivation? How do we know about motivation? A lot of different things there, don't you think? Yeah. yeah Where do you want to start? <sighs> I don't know. Um that tells, that tells us something, right? What's that? <laughs> that says something, that this is this topic that people talk about, but how do you get your head around it? It's quite challenging, actually. Yeah, I think but maybe just to, to lay a couple of ideas down before we get actually into the into all the actual motivations of trying to get fast through this. I think one of the things that uh, for us and for people listening, to keep in mind that we're talking about Japan and we we did a, a whole episode on on Japan ex exceptionalism, but uh, the fact that we're in Japan is different, especially when it comes, I think, to to motivation. And um, we also in the past have mentioned uh, another podcast. Uh, the podcast is um, "You Are Not So Smart." Yes, uh, you're not so smart, and it's uh, the, it was in our our podcast episode sixty seven. Um, and for his podcast, it's a couple of them, a, a few of them. It's uh, episodes 52, 53, and 55. These are but, the uh, studies about weird people. Yes, the weird, weird, the weird, weird. weird research and weird, weird research, research which is Western, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. Right. Yeah. And uh, the good, the one good piece, papers. And the one part that was like was uh, very interesting was uh, had to do with student motivation. And uh, the, to, to make it just to go cut to the end and the results is that um, students in the United States who um, met with success were motivated to continue working and be successful. Uh, students who were not successful gave up. Okay, the, the, the study was set up so that half of them would do well and half of them would do poorly. Well, this is they the study where, just to put it in perspective, I want to make sure, right, that where you have a set of Japanese students, a set of American students, and those two groups are broken into groups A and B, for example. Correct. And one gets the easy test and one gets a more difficult test, but they right. don't know that. Right. And then they're given the results and then they have break time that they can choose to do with the break time, whatever they want to do. Right. Okay. Yeah, basically. And then, so that was how the American students reacted. And given the same situations, the results were actually the opposite in the, with the Japanese students. Um, the students who did well, who had the easy test, um, stopped trying so hard. And uh, the students who did not do well uh, tried harder. So in talking about motivation, it's, yeah, again, remember that we're talking about Japan. It, it is kind of culturally specific. And 
different things about the education system here also kind of is at odds with Charles, what you and I, you know, both Americans come to think about <laughs> as, as education. And, um, the second part, I guess, maybe is uh, you were kind of hinting at already, I guess, is a question of necessity. Uh, and this is something we might agree about, but is it our job to motivate students as, as university teachers? And I'm just going to throw that out there. And then the other thing, the final thing, and this is very short, um, Motivation, and as, <laughs> when we started talking about it I, from the very beginning, right? This is, I don't know, metaphysical, metaphysical sphere or shadow science. It's human and soft and messy and unpredictable. Um, and so much personal variation like from one student to another, let alone one culture to another, but from student to student. Um, yeah, that's, it's not an easy thing to nail down. This is true. This is true. So we could start with a couple of points. First off, I want to res was thinking about the weird study, the one you're talking uh -huh. about. Is I want to see that replicated. Uh -huh. I have I have <laughs> such uh, doubt now because so many studies that have been replicated cannot get the same results. Sure. So I want to see replication of that number one. But I think it does address some interesting cultural issues, and I'm not sure what the reasons are for that. Uh, I've heard different interpretations, and one is that the Japanese students who succeeded didn't want to uh, be that separated away from the other students, that sense right. of, uh, of working as a group. So we have a lot of different things. And anyone who's interested, by the way, in these kind of differences, it's uh, Nesbitt, right, who wrote The Geography of Thought, which looks at differences in Western and Asian thinking. Very interesting book. So that's one way. So I think you're right, that we have to look at the way that things are different in terms of culture and how motivation, in, in most of the time that I understand it, it seems to be coming from like a Western construct, our idea of individuality, individual agency, et cetera. Sure. That's number one. Number two is I want to completely agree with you on motivation and how it's difficult to apply in a Japanese university situation because for those people who are not in Japan, basically there's this idea on the part of students and even I think on the part of employers and in the culture is that college, university is like four years off. It's reward for your hard work. This is where you learn how to work with people, your club activities, your social um, clubs, your social circles our training for learning how to communicate and be a member of a group. And that's a real important training aspect. And the academic part is not really considered that vital in one way. And the third thing is, Tony, about motivation and motivation studies. And I have a real issue with this, which is it's a lot of self-reporting. Mm -hmm. students, right, are reporting about themselves. And I have real issues with self-reporting. I don't think it's accurate. And I think that I've thought about this is that it would make a lot more sense, for example, if you wanted to measure students' motivation for learning something, is to give them a simulated game where they have like money that they can spend and to see how much of that money they would choose. For example, you say to students, okay, you have a choice. You have $150 and you can spend it on 
five really excellent English lessons, or you could spend it on, um, you know, a day at Disneyland. Which would you choose? And I think using that kind of choice or cho um, selection mechanism would make a lot more sense to me rather than asking students, well, how motivated are you? How do you, re you know, report your motivation? How all that is just that's the messy part to me. So I need to get that out of the way. And I'm going to just dive right in here. And I think you and I really differ on this, which is I'm at a point where I'm a university teacher, I'm a college teacher, I'm not a high school teacher, I'm not a junior high school teacher, I'm not an elementary school teacher. I think there are different rules. And if I were a high school teacher or a junior high school teacher, elementary school teacher, and especially a public school teacher, I would not be saying what I'm going to say, which is it's not my job to motivate students, especially when they're at university by choice. There's no requirement that they have to go to a university. And for me to be told or to have the feeling or that I have a responsibility that if a student's not motivated, that it's I'm responsible or in some way for motivating somebody, and I have issues with that as a professional, and even more so, I don't even believe you can motivate anyone. I do know that I've heard the word inspire used um, a lot with uh, my daughter's school. I've heard the teachers talk that, you know, the role of a teacher is to inspire students. And I like that word inspire a whole lot more than motivating. Uh, motivating feels like carrot and the stick. Inspire means like, you know, showing and allowing people to follow, to be pulled in if they want. But motivation always feels like pushing. And I just don't feel like I have the time. Uh, and most of the time, my experience is that if a student's not motivated, very few of them will become motivated. I mean, if they could be, yeah, I know it's something that I think people get very upset with me when I say this, but I just don't think it's really our job, especially at the university level. And that's different from working with a troubled student or a young person who needs help and assistance. Those are totally different issues. And I want to separate that out for motivation. What we're talking about, right, is going into a classroom and the students don't want to learn English and that I should be spending a significant amount of my energy finding ways to get them to really want to learn English and like English and want to be involved in the classroom activity. And, you know, a lot of times it's preset, right? The channel's already been set. Those students have their expectations. And you know what? I think I'd probably better stop. I think I'm going on a rant here. <laughs> <laughs> but I do... We've talked about this before. Yeah. And I just, I think that that expectation from the institution detracts from my ability to teach and to teach the students who really want to learn. And the long term is that if I have that expectation that I'm supposed to motivate students, I'm getting really frustrated. I'm disappointed with myself. It saddens me. It takes away from the joy of my job because most of the time I am... I just can't do it. And I'm wondering if I actually did a look, took a look at, you know, what, 31 years of teaching in Japan? How many students have I actually motivated? So anyway, that's what I think. That's how yeah. I feel. But then on the other hand, I have seen students who have come around, but that's a minority. That's a minority, and it could be a reflection of my teaching, and I would accept responsibility for that. That, you know, it's possible that I have this attitude and that's what, you know, the attitude is predetermining the outcomes. Anyway, 
What do you think? Well, there's there's all different ways to teach a class. There's all different ways to make an omelet. Um, I think uh, if I, I like the um, the your use of the word inspire. Uh, I'm not sure that I can make that clean of a distinction between inspiration and motivation without some some time to digest that. But um, mostly, I want to respond to that by what I said at the very beginning about this being Japan, and um, in uh, in in my book, uh, my, my the chapter on education, make the point that in Japan versus the United States and, and, and a lot of the Western countries. What we've got is a kind of a, a reversal of the high school and the college situation. Um, in the United States, high school is the kind of the playtime because it's easy to get into a university. Uh, so they, Not anymore. Uh, they, well, but yeah, a university. A uh, university. Not, not a good one. But uh, you don't have the... Um, the specter of the uh, the nushi, the entrance exams hanging over your head. Kids don't go to chukus, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, Tony, I'm going to disagree school. with you. Yeah? I'm going to disagree with you. I think um, SAT preps are similar to juku. A lot of students are taking SAT prep courses. How different is that really from juku, which where the juku is really designed to help students um, be able to get into the university. Uh, I, I university think it's exams. a. I think it's a very small slice of the pie of students who are doing that. That is really your elite and upper class students. Okay, you know that. there might be a larger percentage of students in Japan going to Juku. In, in my mind, in my, in my mind, U.S. high school. That's the kind of time for your, your clubs, your sports, your homecoming. Um, You've got it. You're you've, you're working when you're 16 years old. You've got a driver's license when you're 16 years old. High school is your playtime. Uh, you get into university, and like you said, university, it's serious business because at university you're expect when you graduate you're expected to be ready to work. You're supposed to have learned your stuff at university. The, the your your employer is not going to train you. You're expected to be trained. You just show up ready to work. Japan's the opposite. High school is a deadly serious time. Kids study, 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 study. Not, not, not in the best way, of course. But they don't have a lot of freedom. They don't have a responsibility. They don't have a chance to make mistakes. They don't have a chance to mature. You get into the university, and for, in their mind, hey, my work is done. I got into you know, whatever university I was able to get into. And it's four years of party time. As you said, it's the time where they learn to function in groups, uh, learn to negotiate, learn to smooth things over, make connections. That's the kind of thing that employers are going to be looking for. And when they hire them, then they train them. So the high school and the university is kind of skewed. So um, whereas, yes, teaching in a, in a university in the United States, you'd be teaching young adults. Uh, the kids that we teach, they don't, I teach mostly freshmen. They're just kids. They're not, they don't have the maturity. They haven't had a chance to mature, to take that responsibility for themselves that an American student would at, at age 18. So I think, yeah, it, you know, one, I think it's possible. One can go in and, and not take, take, you know, assume the responsibility of motivating the stu students who don't want to study but on the other hand, when that's a that portion of the 
class has never had that option. They don't really know how to be in a class that of the type that we teach. Um, you know, maybe what they, they would taught in junior high school and high school is to pretty much hate foreign language because of the emphasis on grammar and grammar translation. Um, hmm, I don't know. I don't know that that's not my job. Well, let's go back because this is one of the few times I think where we actually disagree. Hmm. And which is really interesting over the years, we just have tended to agree on almost everything. But the difference, I think, between inspire and motivation would be the difference between pulling and pushing. I really feel like motivating students is pushing them, whereas uh, inspiring them is pulling and saying, hey, I'm over here, take a look, what do you think? And then you throw a rope and then you help them. But getting behind somebody and trying to push them uphill is not always, a, you know, the, that's the image I have. I want to then take what you said. Well, first off, I have to address the fact that, you know, you and I are dinosaurs, and we don't really know what's going on in American education right Good now. Point. But what I read, <laughs> Good point. What I really read is that high school is really difficult in the United States. There's an incredible amount of test pressure. A lot of students feel a lot of pressure trying to get into good universities. And I watch my daughter, and my daughter is working harder than I ever worked when I was in high school. And I don't know if that's reflective of the fact that she's in an IB program, an international baccalaureate program, an international school in Japan. My daughter works really very, very, very hard. And it's not um, just test memorization. I mean, she has, I, I sent you an example of the assignment she had to do. These are heavy duty assignments. So that has to be marked. The other thing is that if the students are in college for a very, very different reason, uh, they see it as a time for learning social skills, making connections, preparing to go into the work world. Then they come into my classroom where I expect them to do work. Then they get to make their choice. They can choose to minimally get a C if they want or not pass the class. I have students who excel and succeed. So I'm going to say something I've said a number of times to you, I think, and other people, but if Japan really wanted to fix the tertiary, you know, their university education system, just create a motivated and unmotivated track. Create a track where students who just want to go through the motions and want to get their units and graduate and do their social, you know, skills, go ahead and take courses, and those courses are designed just to you know, let students do that. But please do not, do not negatively impact the students I know who want to learn. And this is why I have such an attitude about motivation, because I have students who are highly motivated, who really want to learn, and they get dragged down by the other students who just don't care. And I would personally rather have those students who have made decisions and, you know, say, look, I'm sorry, you're 18, you're 19 years old. I know your kids, you haven't had a lot of responsibility, but I've given you enough, you know, three, four weeks in the class, five weeks in the class. You can make an assessment of what, how hard you want to work and whether this is something you want to do. You know, if you want, just you do the, the, the minimum work that's needed to get your C. And by the way, for people who are not in Japan, a C in Japan is 60. Right, you need to get like a fifty-nine to fail, and if I'm correct, a sixty-nine in the United States is a failing grade. Is that correct, Tony? Mm, that's not what I remember. I think there's a lot more variations. But isn't like um, seventy to seventy-nine? But if that a was C? 
I think that was true when I was uh, when in, we were not ele- dinosaurs. Elementary school, <laughs> and, which is way way back. But I don't think that was the case in university, and I don't remember high school at all. Okay, so I don't know. I I think it's just it's skewed in an incredibly easy way, and I think that the problem I have with motivation is that it the expectation that I should motivate students who are not motivated detracts me from working with the students who are really motivated. Same thing we were talking with, like, the gifted students. And I'm not talking about gifted students. Um, A number of years ago, this has got to be, let me see, 20-plus years or more, I was working at Atande, which is a junior college, and I had a small class of 12 students. It was a women's college. And... The professor who was running the program assigned me this class, and he said, look, we're really giving you a really, really low-level group of students. And I was like, okay, fine. You know, because no teacher really wants to hear that. And then I taught them on the first day, and I had them three days a week because that was how the program worked. So, of course, if you're getting low-level students for three days a week, you think, you know, uh, they might be low-level, but, hey, I can do a lot with three days a week. Those students were some of the lowest level students I had, and I have never had more fun, I think, teaching a class than I had with them because they wanted to learn, and they just mm-hmm. had not been taught in a way that was good for them or the teachers had assumed that they were low level and had treated them badly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those 12 students worked harder than any students I'd ever had. They were more fun to teach. I loved going in and teaching them. They came out learning a lot, and... That was really, really great. So I think that I need to make it clear that I'm not talking about the level of the students. I'm just talking about how those students come into the classroom, what their expectations are, and how they work. And I should also um, preface, not preface this, footnote this, <laughs> add, add something to it, which is that for me, the biggest issue really is just their attitude. You know, um, I have a class this year that is 27 students, and 24, 25 of the students just, you know, they're they're grimacing and scowling when they come in in the morning, and this has been from day one. Um, and I look at these students, and there's, I say, you know, there's really nothing I can do to motivate these students. They don't, you know, they don't. They come to class without textbooks. They don't take notes. They're not prepared. They forget their pencils. They think it's funny when students um, are unprepared. So, you know, if I look at that and think, well, how much energy do I really want to direct at this, especially when it's a choice by these people to be in college and they see college as being in a certain way. And then I look at the two or three students in the class and I think, I could teach to you, but then the rest of the students would probably fail. So that's the issues I'm having with it right now. I think the solution to me is a really simple solution. You just have a two-track system for students who are interested and want to learn and earn good grades and the students who are just there to get the units and are going through the motions, and we should... Maybe give them that choice, you know, please choose. And you can move back and forth if you want. But yeah, I, you know, I know it sounds negative and I don't think I'm that negative a person in the classroom, but I don't, I don't like the expectation that I should motivate people. And I hear that constantly. In fact, I know I'm going off again, 
Tony, I think I told you I was interviewing at a job and in the interview, one of the, you know, you, you know, those interviews where you have like the entire, like five or six people on the hiring committee interviewing you. And we're going through the interview and they're asking me about research and teaching philosophy. And one, one professor says, well, how would you motivate students that have absolutely no interest in learning English and don't even want to be there? And I remember answering the question by saying, you know, Sensei, if I knew the answer to that question, I wouldn't be interviewing for this job. I'd be sitting on a beach and, you know, somewhere like in Tahiti, sipping margaritas, enjoying my, you know, my income that I'd earned from, you know, solving the big problem. So anyway, that's what I, I think. It's, it's too easy to go negative on this because I'm tired of having to deal with students who come in. Or, you know, Tony, maybe it's okay if the student's not motivated, but the unmotivated students come in a lot of times with an attitude and that that negative, that attitude negatively impacts the students around them, near them, and uh, impacts the class. So that's also another reason why I have a problem with it. And I'm going to stop talking now before I <laughs> dig up, before I dig a deep, 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 dark hole. What is it? Bill Clinton once said the, the first rule is when you find yourself in a hole is to stop digging. <laughs> I think I, I think just dug myself a hole. No, no, I don't. Just <laughs> You're, when you laugh like that, it usually means I've said something that's going to get me into a lot of trouble. <laughs> well, just give somebody enough rope, you know. So anyway, going back, um, uh, do you have to, any more rope? <laughs> to, so at the very beginning, you said you know, if if Japan wanted to do something to improve, and I said, and I stop stop right there. Right, I know because we've covered that before. Uh, that was one of our actually one of one of my favorite episodes at failure by design. Um, the system is not set up to 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 optimize learning of any kind. Um, certainly not foreign language. Certainly not English. So you're, you're, the two track idea is is interesting. I like it. Never going to happen. Um, and as you, you know, the question in your job interview, again, this is Japan, that there's something about the mindset here where, yeah, for a lot of people, that motivation is a primary job of the teacher. And, that, and that's not going to change either. But uh, the other interesting thing was I've, I've had a couple of... Uh, low-level classes that turned out really well and it's very enjoyable as, as you pointed out uh, because you, you know, as a teacher that's a good teacher you focus on their abilities and what they need to do and you design lessons that are to teach them and they're, that are going to engage them but the key element in that one I think 12 students because when I think about motivation slash inspiration, uh, it really does come down to a, a personal relationship. And um, I had a friend, and uh, we were pretty different. Uh, just, we had really big differences when it came to religion, but we, that, we were we were good friends anyway. He's he's since left Japan. And um, I don't know what happened to the relationship, but that I, maybe I did something stupid. But our approach to the classroom was uh, very similar, and he was maybe a little bit more out on the on this branch than I am. But his idea was 
that uh, you get to the classroom, you've, you've got to get the kids to love you. And once the kids love you, they'll do anything for you. And I don't go that far, but um, I certainly believe that establishing personal relationship with the students, um, uh, earning their trust is a very, very useful tool for me in the classroom. And as the semester progresses, if I'm going to succeed or not at doing that, and I can almost pinpoint the classes, the point in the semester where the, where the class flips. And uh, for a few of my classes, I was it was very pronounced. It was about two weeks ago. And students that I thought were going to be hard cases are now coming to class smiling, studying hard before class, asking questions before class, um, and and. And other more social things, like, you, for example, the the recent Snapchat gender flip, okay, was done by a, a photo taken of me by a student who I thought was going to be one of my hard cases. There are three of them that sit in the middle. It's a small class, right? It's, it's like 14 students. Three of them sit in the middle, and it's like they're, from the day one, it's like these kids are going to be tough to crack. Something, you know, I just do what I do. Uh, and it flipped about two weeks ago and the class is a joy and they're all working so hard and it's really really nice to see um and uh we've talked also about uh okay just get back to what you said before i go on with that the class with 12 people and then you've got the class with 25 and the the two the two or three that want to be there um school culture we we, we did a we did a, a podcast on this as well uh, that is so huge. It's it's such an incredible difference from university to university. Um, the, the attitude, as you said, of the students is so different toward the class, toward learning, and toward the teacher. Uh, it's it's hard to accept that it's the same country or the same culture because it's so different from university to university. Um, and then... The hardest, th the hardest thing that you've got in that situation is that class size, you know, 25, 27. Um, doing what I'm talking about, establishing personal relationships and trust so that to flip those kids, you got to be a miracle worker. You have to be a miracle worker. And yeah, it's a mistake to sacrifice the two or three motivated slash inspired students to them. It's like, you know, you just do what you can for them and the other one's just gotta gotta keep up and that's that's sometimes that's all you can do um and i know that you have said in the past that you know about students being friends you, students are you're not their friend don't treat them like a friend and i said man i would i would modify it say that i'm glad to be your friend but i'm not your peer um ideally in my own head i would like to be thought of as a cool uncle um, if you can establish that personal relationship with the student, which takes boatloads of empathy uh, and really trying to understand where the kid or kids are coming from, and you can somehow make the, your classroom a comfortable place to hang out, to learn, without 
surrendering any of my underlying but not at all obvious authority, that's kind of where I'm trying to go with my classes, if I can. I've had those classes that you that you described, you're 25, 27 with the vast majority who just don't want to be there. I've had that too, and I fail. Uh, and I have to teach in a way that I'm not, is not my preference, but you get through. But uh, yeah, a couple of different experiences with this. I remember way back when with the, um, at the, when I was my at the teaching of the Semongako and uh, a couple of students came to the, the teachers from which, which students could at that particular place. And um, I don't remember at all what we were talking about, but they were just kind of hanging around my desk. And one of the other Japanese English teachers looked at me and she says, well, you've really tamed your students. Well, that's like an interesting <laughs> turn of phrase. Um, and uh, last year, um, and I might have mentioned uh, this particular student, um, it was really a potential problem. Um, we talked, she was uh, kind of, um, we, we described this with dogs, like hand shy. And uh, she was friendly with her friends, but would almost snarl when I would walk by, you know, you're walking around the classroom while students are engaged in, um, you know, discussions and things. And she'd almost snarl. And would when she'd look at me or just smile, would just turn off. And she'd be fine with her friends, but she'd just like, and I don't know, I'd never did anything to her. I didn't, this was the first thing I noticed about her, that she was snarling. Um, you know, maybe male, maybe, and anyway, gender is a huge thing too, right? So past experience. And, and, and um, it was, the, the situation was so bad that I mentioned to the coordinator, says, hey, I got this kid. <laughs> and um, uh, I am a little bit worried. And um, we talked about it and she was, you know, supportive. And I says, thanks. And we actually changed classrooms because we were kind of crowded and we got into a new classroom. Um, she came in a, a, a week or two later stuck her head. So I'm just seeing everything's okay. One of the kids was like, how's everything going? And the kid says, fantastic. She says, okay. <laughs> so you're not going to get that response too often. This says, yeah, that was nice timing. Thanks, kid. But last week um, at the station, I saw this problem child. And inexplicably, her face lit up like she was seeing an old friend. I said, that's not what I remember, I've never seen that <laughs> before. So I don't know what happened, how, when, or where, but um, something flipped. And uh, who knows? But uh, I think uh, sometimes the, the deck is stacked and, and you, you, there's classes you're just not going to reach. Um, but for me, making that extra effort has paid off. And yeah, <laughs> it's really hard. It's really hard. Well, I think the things that you've talked about, you know, building trust, respecting the students, creating a positive atmosphere. I'm not I'm not talking about those things at all. That's not what I mean by motivating students. Those are requirements for the classroom. You know, right? You all go in and you do that and you set it up and you treat students properly. Uh, you know, I make it fun. There's a lot of, you know, humors. Uh, Students always have opportunities, for example, to redo their assignments so that they can always get a better grade. 
I need but to. Is, really... But isn't that part of it? Isn't that motivating them? I'm Doing not, all those things. Okay. You know, that's yeah. no. That's just that's just a basic requirement for the class. You know how you conduct a class. You know, respecting students, creating a positive atmosphere, creating a an atmosphere of trust. That's does that doesn't to me fall under the you know the the parameters of motivation that falls under you know like that, that's how you have a class those are requirements for how you go in and teach what i i really mean by motivation is i'm talking about the student who doesn't want to be there you know if like if the kid is snarling at me um you know it's not necessarily that's the best way to put it. I always try to find out why that I have a snarling kid. I have a couple of snarling kids this year. <laughs> <laughs> and I've really done my best to, um, you know, find out what's going on or to do it. But I mean, there's this one kid who just snarls at me and, you know, will say things. And I caught the student actually about to use profanity with me. Um, they're pretty fluent. I think they've been overseas. And... Mm -hmm. You know, the student was about to use the F word, and I was like, excuse me, and the student just went totally silent in front of me, and I said, excuse me, what what were you going to say? And the student refused to talk to me, Ooh. you know, just went silent, mm. um, you know, and so I just wonder, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not... I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a therapist. Um, right, exactly. We're not mental health professionals. I'm, I'm not a mental <laughs> health this, professional. That, that's not I am not job. a social worker, Okay. I think that there are certain things as as a teacher, as a human being in a classroom, and I want to say that as a human being leading a classroom, yes, I have responsibilities. There are ways of conducting myself and con you know running that classroom, and I really do mean running the classroom because I think you pointed out right, it's your classroom hmm. that are more respectful to the students than the environments that they've been in. That I care about if they succeed or not. But I don't really feel that if a student doesn't want to be there, and the student is clearly indicating to me that they don't want to be there, and they're clearly indicating that they have no interest in the subject, not my job to change their attitude. I would rather take my energy and work with the student who's struggling but really wants to learn. I feel that the this... You know, it goes back, Tony, as I stutter here or, you know, get, get tongue-tied. As you say, the the institution's not designed for actual learning. We've talked about this. And some of the institutions actually are built on attracting students who are not successful. That's how they exist. And mm -hmm. funny, it's funny enough that I have noticed that the better the schools I go to, the less emphasis there is on my motivating the students. Well, of course, because you're getting more motivated students. Right. But in I remember um, where I my, my 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 school where it was my first year and there was a student and it was a she was a fourth year student taking an American Studies seminar that I was teaching and I, I she was failing and I said look you know you got to get the paper in you you know it's and I really did my best to get the student to be able to get things done. And I remember going to, you know, somebody who, you know, I guess for lack of a better term, was the coordinator of the program and saying, excuse me, I've got this fourth year student and uh, I think they need the units to graduate and, uh, but they are getting a, f a failing grade. What should I do? And the professor looked at me and says, is, is, has the student done passing work and have they done enough work of passing quality and i said no and the person said failure 
That was it. There wasn't a, you know, there was a, an adherence to certain guidelines. So what I'm really talking about here, and I should be really clear, is that if I go into a classroom and I do what I think is the right thing, trying to create a positive environment, treat the students respectfully. Um, I don't, I used to think I needed to get them to love me, but I don't think so anymore. And the thing about friend, Tony, and you talk about being the uncle, is I want to be friendly with them, but I don't want to be their friend. Um, I've just, it just gets really weird sometimes when that happens. I like the idea, the image, though, of their uncle, right? You're the nice mm. uncle. That's kind of a good image because there's still enough distance there to yeah. allow for that. It's a good image. But I think what happens for me is that I'm just getting tired of having to feel that I'm responsible for students that don't want to be there. And I treat them respectfully. I treat them politely. And they do not respond in kind. And I think my biggest criteria, as I always have said this to people who know me, is that I just want the students to be reasonably polite. And if the student is reasonably polite, then I'm okay with it. But, you know, I'm teaching, if I teach students who are rude to me, you know, that's hard. And I always try to be respectful to them. And if they continue to be rude and they're, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not acting out, but if they are making their feelings about the class or their feelings about me visible and feel that it's okay for them to do so in an impolite and disrespectful way, it's that students just, there are consequences for those actions. And one of the consequences is that, you know, I'm not going to make a big effort to help you. And I know that those are warning signs or they're indicators or they're symptoms, right? It could go through a bunch of stuff. But it's not part of my brief. When I was working in a peer counseling center, when I was, you know, the assistant director and director of a peer counseling um, program in an urban high school in San Francisco, that's a very, very different brief. And, you know, I was working with kids with lots of problems and attitudes. And yes, in that situation, I was much kinder, much nicer, much more patient. I was also a lot younger and more idealistic. But I just think that, you know, I just don't have the energy for it. And I don't feel that I'm patient enough for it. And I don't particularly care for having that expectation put on me. And here's the worst part. I don't know if this is really true for you, Tony. But a lot of times the people who are have these expectations, the, the faculty who have these expectations, are the ones who do not run the best classrooms, <laughs> that's, are not the that's best That's been teacher. my experience, exactly. Okay, so I just yeah. want to put that out there, is that I get, I rem, you know, you and I worked at a place where, remember, that person was like, it's our responsibility uh -huh. to motivate students, and that person was like, everybody Anti knew. <laughs> anti-motivator. <laughs> he was the anti-motivator. <laughs> students came back. I remember I even recommended him to somebody I knew who, where he was teaching part-time, and they were like, how could you motivate this person? It's one of the worst people I've ever, you know, had a classroom from. But that's my experience is that the professors who say that, yeah, it's your responsibility to motivate students, it's like, well, what are you doing? 
Oh, I don't teach uh, freshmen. I don't teach GDE <laughs> classes. Okay, yeah, right. You get to do your research. What, what's your major goal here? Teaching or research? I'm a researcher. <sighs> you know? And I think it's also just frustration because you never want to lose a kid, right? Yep. You yep. want to help every kid. And I think I take it personally. Every kid that I don't get through it seems to me to be a failure, and so I need to mention that. And I just wish I could save every kid. I wish I could help every kid. I wish I could walk into a classroom and every kid looks and deals with me and kind of goes, whoa, learning is like the coolest thing ever. Hmm. But the flip side of this, and I often think about this, and this is why I'm not blaming the students. I need to be really clear too. I'm not blaming the students about this. I'm having an issue with the expectation, the institutional expectations and the expectations of the demands put upon me by people who I think have absolutely no right to be asking me to do this because they are not exemplars of teaching or motivating students. But it's important that we recognize that a lot of the students I work with when I talk about unmotivated students, are young people who have never had, I think to quote Richard Feynman, right, have never had felt the joy of finding things out. They've never had those moments where like, whoa, this is so cool to learn. They've gone through their entire education experience, educational experience, without a really positive experience, without, you know, getting that incredible rush of mm. when you learn something new or you find something, you discover something. And they get to college and, you know, they're basically shut down. And I'm, I can't blame them for that. Yep. And I don't hold that against them. But I do have, I think, it's, it's good because what I realize now is that I'm not angry with the students. I'm angry with the institution. That, you know, there's kind of a, that double standard as I, um, I, maybe it's because we're foreign teachers. I don't know. But, you know, I don't know how many interviews I've gone through where people said, yes, well, we believe that your main goal is to motivate students to like English. And then you say, okay, and you say, thank you, sensei, and then you get the job, and then you walk past that sensei's classroom, and you know where I'm going with this, right? Sure. You know, Absolutely. all the students have their heads down or asleep or looking at their phones, and there's the person droning on in front in the front of the classroom. Yeah, you, you motivate them. We'll, quote, unquote, teach them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that, I think, is the real issue for me. Um, and I think I talked about the... The student who seemed totally had a really bad attitude a couple of weeks ago or months ago, right? Mm -hmm. We talked about this. I think it came up in the gifted segment. Mm. I had a student who just had the worst attitude imaginable. And I talked to them and I said, excuse me, after class rehashing this, where I said, look, your behavior is unacceptable to me. You know, you're going to be in my classroom. I'm not going to accept it. And they said, fine. And then I thought about it for a week, came back and said, look, let's do this independent study. And I watched the person jump up and down. This past week, my students were doing group work uh, in, a, in a class group and doing a group project. And one of the, st the students in the group said, hey, you know, this student X is not been participating and hasn't been coming to class. And I said, well, you know, that person's missed a lot of classes. They haven't done a lot of work. I don't see them passing the class. And the same day, I got an email from that student <laughs> saying that they had heard from other students that they were in trouble. 
you know, could they meet with me? And I said, sure, of course you can meet with me. And we talked. And uh, this is a student I was telling you about before we started the cast today. And the student started talking and they were explaining that they have anxiety attacks and that, you know, it's really difficult for them to come to class. They get nervous. They And, you know, I worked with that student. We talked for an hour at lunch about different options available to them, how to take little steps. Let's, okay, come to this, do this, do that. That's part of the, that's part of the brief as a teacher is to help those students. But I don't know even, you know, the real question is, instead of griping and bitching and moaning about this stuff, is if somebody really is not interested and is resistant to your teaching and is resistant to your learning, can they be motivated, or more likely, can they be motivated by somebody else, but I don't know if I can do it? And wouldn't it be better to move them to a different situation? Anyway, I think that's really the issue for me. I'm just tired of having people who are not good um, classroom practitioners mm. tell me what to do. Oh, thank you, Dr. Silva. I feel so much better now, <laughs> and I don't think I will need to take any more of my medication. <laughs> yeah, I think... Yeah, well, I think what, I think uh, for, for all of us, it's a useful skill to develop to be able to learn how to filter that crap out and remember that um when you walk into your classroom and you close the door you're at the wheel and um their expectations can assume their rightful position in the trash can yeah okay but when and they're talking about the things we're going to talk about in the future like things that we can't control right yeah well this is you know this is yeah, one of this them is, this is one of the things i mean mm -hmm. you know I think we've talked about this is that you're quite happy that you're not teaching at certain schools, right? Mm -hmm. Anymore. Yeah, right. Because you talk about school culture, right? And it just, in many cases, it's just too much to overcome. You just can't do it. Right. And there are school cultures that are unmotivated cultures. And yes. that is the ethos there. And I yes. discovered this. I discovered this last week or this week. Um, I have a class and they're just, I find them almost impossible. I've, um, you know, I, I did like, you know, for example, at one point I turned to a student and I said, uh, excuse me, but you need to put your shoes back on <laughs> and get them off the chair. This is not your living room. Um, things like that. And uh, I gave them a test and most of them were able to answer the questions. And I realized, oh, now I get it. The The overall atmosphere of this class or the understanding is that you guys are not going to learn or you're not going to publicly learn did you um do you remember the movie stand and deliver you ever see that james almost plays uh, i don't the think guy I've jaime escalante i know jaime who he is and i know yeah, the movie okay. but i have i don't think i've seen okay. it well there's a scene in it where i think lou diamond phillips plays like this uh this super cool dude and he he turns to <laughs> the the teacher who's played by um james almost who says yeah, dude, you know, I need two textbooks. And the, the teacher goes, you need two textbooks? He goes, yeah, I need a textbook for the classroom, and then I need a textbook I can keep at home. And the teacher says, why do you need that? He goes, I can't be seen carrying the textbook home, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought to myself, oh, you guys are kind of like that too. Mm -hmm. You might know more than you do, but you're not going to indicate that in the class because the 
the atmosphere of this class and what you guys pride yourselves on and, and what you're valuing here is uh, having a, you know, the public showing of not being interested in yeah. having a, a negative attitude. Yeah, too cool for school. Yeah, too cool for school. And I guess, you know, I think back to this and I don't know if it makes any sense, but, you know, I got a BA that I put myself through school. That was not, that was challenging. And then I got my master's and I was working on a PhD with uh, somebody reasonably well-known. Um, and I think to myself, when I go into this classroom, I said, and now I'm dealing with this, <laughs> right? You know, there's a little bit of like, no, no, this is not okay. But I do know somebody I know who also works at a school with me. And uh, we were talking about this and he says, yeah, you know, I explained to my students, I said, you know, I go home and talk to my wife about my day at, you know, school today, and she and I will talk about the same things. The difference is, he says, is I'm teaching at a university and she's teaching at elementary school. <laughs> and we both have similar experiences. I can and I, see that. Yeah. Yeah. And the problem is, I think the students have no idea about that. Hmm. You know, how do you communicate to somebody who doesn't understand that concept? They think, oh, you know, we're just acting the way we should. And I think you mentioned this once, Tony, I think, where you said, these are students who don't know how to conduct themselves in an academic situation. Certainly, and, and especially the, the kind of classes that we teach. I mean, that's another step up. It's two different things, right? It's like two steps. One is, yeah, a lot of them, um, is, is, you know, certain schools... Um, you know, don't don't understand what it means to be a student in a classroom. Right, no, we've talked that's right, what yeah. They just don't know. And then another step, not just a classroom, but uh, a classroom, you know, an English communication classroom taught by a native speaker. I mean, the, the they've never encountered anything like that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And again, you know, don't get me wrong on this. I'm not tooting my own horn here either, but probably on average per week, you know, on f out of five days, three days a week, my lunches are, you know, meeting with students who want extra time or, you know, like even I think for on this coming Monday, I have a lunch meeting with one student and then I'm meeting with a student after all my classes are taught because I want to have more time to discuss talk with a native speaker and work on their English. And, you know, for whatever reason, those people are motivated that I feel like they deserve more of my energy. And I'd like to be able to have more energy for those kinds of students, regardless of their level. And, uh, you know, I'm fortunate that I get to teach at a very good school and I have some incredible, most of the students are really, really incredible. But, you know, I just have this thing about motivation and you know, why does it play such a major role? And, uh, you know, that there are so many things we probably could do, but, you know, as you say, it's out of our control. You know, I think I better stop talking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a big topic. We, we, we haven't even, like, broached, like, internal and motivation, external motivation. and that Intrinsic, extrinsic, yeah, you know. So, but everybody knows about those things, right? I hope so. Yeah. Um, and demotivating. Maybe, yeah, maybe just kind of, maybe kind of getting winding down. I'll just maybe talk about some things that I do at the beginning of the semester, um, which is not, not touchy feely at all. Um, but uh, in uh, an attempt to stave off some of this indifference toward learning, to 
give some just very cold, rational uh, facts, reasons why uh, learning English might not such be a bad thing. Uh, one of the things that I do is I uh, ask the students, is, okay, well, you know, everybody uses the internet, and uh, I'm guessing that most of you is when you use the internet, you're using Japanese, right? Well, of course, what else will we use? Well, um, and the internet, how much, how much, <laughs> how much internet content is uh, in, in Japanese? Percentage-wise, take a guess, and I, I take some guesses, and then I show them the chart, the pie chart, right? Where four uh, percent of the internet content is Japanese. I say, okay, you look at the internet, but if you're only using Japanese, you you and I little slice of the pie, you're limiting yourself to four percent, and then English, of course, is like it's fifty-five to sixty percent, and it says, well, you know, you can see that access to this information is power right so if this re if this is the only reason is this is going to be help you out whether you're working whether you're looking for medical information for your children whatever it's going to be being able to access this other stuff is going to going to do you good um i make a big in the, in the more advanced classes that i've got i make a big point about uh Emphasizing not only linguistic skills, but also critical thinking skills, establishing confidence in your own opinion, um, that you're not here, they're not there to learn my opinion, that they've got to do it on their own and express it in English. And a lot of them, again, later can come say, well, yeah, I can do this in English, but it's still really hard in Japanese. I go, yeah, that's another reason. <laughs> that's why we're doing it in English. Um, with the public speaking classes, I uh, make a big point about uh, the power of being able to express your own ideas and persuade others to agree with you and point out that, yes, we're doing all this in English, but these skills transfer very, very well to other languages, including, of course, Japanese. Um, and use the example, you know, of parent-teacher association, condo associations, of course, in the workplace, um, say, you know, whether it's sales or it's internal to the company, there's going to be all kinds of cases where you're going to need to talk to people. And uh, being able to express what you think and persuade them to agree with you or to do what you want them to do can be critical. And to all the classes, uh, especially when I sense that there may be some quote unmotivated students in the room, um, I point out that there's only one reason that we're here, and that is for you to learn English. We're not here for me to teach. We're here for you to learn. That's the only reason you come here, and it's the only reason I come in. If you're coming here for some other reason, you're in the wrong place. So think about that before you come back next week. If you're not coming here to learn English, you shouldn't be here. Oh, so you agree with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you just do it in less of a screedish way. <laughs> you sly devil, you. <laughs> So but, th th those are all things that I do like really early in the semester. And, you know, yeah. maybe maybe people can pick up on some of it and use it. I don't know. That's whatever. But uh, I, I like that last one that I tell them, like, you know, you, if, if you're not here, learn English, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> you don't belong here. Well, I think I'm, I'm I agree with you. And I, I do the same thing, which is like, if you don't want to learn, you know, then drop out now. Drop the class or transfer to another class where the expectations are different. Right. And don't waste your time. Don't, don't, don't half, waste your time and don't fail, waste my yeah. time. Yeah, because you're wasting your time. It's really, you're wasting your time. 
And I want to be really clear about this, Tony, is that what I'm really interested in is that so much of this discussion is a secret discussion. I think you you know what I mean by this. This is not the thing that, it, you know, imagine if you start talking like the way I just talked in the middle of a, a teacher's room, uh-huh. there's going to be, I'm going to be attacked, I think, by a lot of people. I think people are going to take it in a negative way. They're not going to listen. They're going to jump up and down. And what I'm really trying to do is start this discussion is uh, kind of light a fuse here and say that I think we do need to start addressing this issue and talking and being clear about what our expectations are. Uh, that, you know, if we go ahead and we do all these things that most people I know, professionals are doing, but at the same time, you completely agree. You turn to somebody and you say, look, you know, it's my job is to facilitate your learning. But, you know, and I've said this before, there's no such thing as teaching. There are, you can create opportunities for learning and you can sequence those learning experiences for maximum benefit, but I can't force anybody to learn. I can't teach anybody. And right, if you're if you if you want to you know just come to class and think that you know by coming to class and your attendance is going to pass the class and you're not going to do anything i sorry this is not the class for you and you need to find a place that will work for you but i just want to get the discussion going a little bit i want to i should have focused more on the problems of motivation research right and how it's set up and i don't think it accurately measures motivation and then i no, I mean, I know that there are certain things teachers can do, you know, for example, being giving positive reinforcement to hard work, not praising people's intelligence or their intrinsic abilities. We've talked about this before. But I would like to have the discussion kind of get opened up a little bit and have the emotions that somewhat, you know, let's dial it down and actually try to figure out what is the role of of the foreign language instructor given that we are almost always teaching required general education classes that are non-optional for students? And are there ways for us to approach it and deal with it so that, you know, people can feel better about the job they're doing? But that's kind of where I'm at about it. I wish that students came to us often with better experience, better classroom experiences and better learning experiences. That would be nice, I think. But, you know, overall, I have to admit that most of my students are pretty good. They're reasonable. They're well-behaved. They engage. But I guess I'm trying to talk to those people who run the schools who, of course, would never, ever listen to our podcast. (laughs) Yeah, it's maybe a good thing. Yeah, it's a good thing. (laughs) Since we need our jobs. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, it's the old question too, right? If we're actually talking about motivation, and it's it's a fair thing, which is to say, how many people actually would say that they have good admin? That the people who are running the programs and are running the schools seem to be doing so and do so competently and professionally. And... That's amazing because it's not very many people who I know. Do you? No. Okay. So I'm going to stop talking before I get fired in a number of jobs. Because people decide that, hey, you know, your teacher was on this podcast saying this about you guys. You might want to hear this. <laughs> okay. I'm done. So shall we wrap this up? 
Yeah, I think yeah. We're just gonna put a cap on it and yeah, uh, <laughs> put a cap on it. <laughs> so uh, it's like you know whatever, whatever you interpret. I'm talking to the listeners. Whatever you interpret your role in the classroom vis-a-vis motivation, uh, maximum or minimum, or you know, somewhere in between. Uh, just a, a admission here is like. Yeah, it's, this is not an easy job. <laughs> Regardless of where you you place yourself on on the spec on the spectrum, there it's um it's it, that's why it's hard. It's hard. Okay, fair enough. Well, good enough. Good enough. Okay, I'm Charles Wiz. Tony Silva. Two teachers talking, and thanks for listening. Okay, take care, Charles. Sure, bye. Yeah.